It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We've got a real bumper gegen pod for you today. Two former Socceroos, Scott McDonald and Michael Zullo, just back from Qatar to break down all four games overnight and look ahead to the Socceroos do-or-die clash with Denmark. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegen Pod. Yes, indeed. We've got a couple of former Socceroos with us on the Gegen Pod today to break down the overnight action in the World Cup and then have a big look ahead to Australia's vital game against Denmark. We're joined once again by former Socceroos Scott McDonald. Scotty, it's great to have you back. Yes, great to be back as well. And I can see we've got a newcomer here, which is good. Always good. So someone else to argue, not Bridgie today. Yes, uh, former Socceroo 10 caps, Michael Zullo, who joins us, of course, a lengthy career in the A-League and also overseas as well. Michael, it's great to have you with us. And I understand that you've only just got back from Qatar. So have you got a story for us about your time over there? Uh, well, I've got a few stories. I'm not sure which ones I can share on here. But um, now, look, it's uh, I just got back last night. It was, a, it was an incredible experience. Uh, I was there for, for four days in total. I uh, saw three games and um, loved every second of it. Which three games did you manage to catch? Uh, I saw um, the first one was England versus USA. The second one was Australia versus Tunisia. And then we rounded it off with uh, Germany versus Spain. Uh, so I saw some really high-quality football. And obviously, um, the Australia game was probably the highlight for me. I was going to say, you saw some really high-quality football and you also got to see the England-USA game. So commiserations on, on catching that one. Uh, let's start with the USA, though, because they are through to the round of 16. A 1-0 win. Christian Pulisic injured himself while scoring the match-winning goal and had to be subbed off at halftime. Scott, while it's a great achievement for Greg Baralta and the USA to get out of this group... Pulisic's injury, is that the end of their hopes right there before they have to go on and play against the Netherlands in the next round? Look, uh, he's been involved in, in both goals. He, he's, a, he's a very important player, so uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how he recovers. Um, however, you know, USA have some quality in that front area. Timothy Way has been excellent as well in this World Cup campaign. It was really nice to see at the end of the game, obviously, uh, his legend of a father there, uh, celebrating with him as well. Uh, look, in the USA team, for me, they started this game very, very well on the front foot. As always, when you get a goal ahead and the game kicks on, you're protecting that as well. You know you need the victory to go through. Iran only needed the draw, uh, but it was a professional performance. And I, look, and for me, uh, their midfield's brilliant. And I and I talked about Musa uh, the other day. I, I'm just so impressed by him. He's won. He started his career at Arsenal. Um, he's now at Valencia. Played a lot of football. And if you look at this USA team now compared to what it was previous. There's a lot of these players predominantly playing in European football. Michael, having only just seen the USA in their game against England, what did you make of the result and also the performance against Iran? Because they probably came out of that game happy with a point to keep control of their own destiny. But how did you see sort of the progression of this team today? Yeah, I was really impressed by them. As uh, Squatty touched on, they've got a, a young crop of, of, of players that are coming through top leagues in Europe and top clubs. And I think um, from seeing them firsthand against against England, um, 
you know, all the expectation was on England, obviously, but they're such a dynamic young side. Uh, Weston McKennie is, is, is one player that really stands out for me, uh, a Juventus player. And, um, Look, I think I think they they're showing promising signs that they could probably go deeper into this tournament. Um, whether they can obviously reach the final and win is another another question. But uh, I think there's some really promising sides uh, signs, and they're a young, exciting side. So so look, I, I, I kind of like what I see. Let's leave Iran there. They are eliminated, as are Wales, after they crashed out 3-0 to England, a double for Rashford and Foden at the start of the second half, killing off the game. Um, England put key players on ice. They subbed off Harry Kane and Declan Rice after the first two goals. Scott, uh, should England be worried about Harry Kane's form, given the World Cup so far, or is Gareth Southgate perhaps in a position where, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Absolutely not. Everything that's good is coming through him. Um, and if you looked at the World Cup previous to this one, France won the World Cup. Did their centre-forward score a goal in it? No, he didn't. Giroud never scored a goal in the whole World Cup competition, but he was the platform for them to play off. So Harry Kane is that man. And as proven again, he's delivering some of the... Because that's, that, goal, that ball for the second goal was sublime. You ask any striker what you want to be on the end of, it's something like that. And because he is a centre-forward... He knows where he wants to put it. He didn't even look up. He just put it across that six-yard box. And if you ask Michael, that's the most horriblest place for any defender to to try and defend in no man's land, you call it. Uh, And it was wonderful. And and the way that they sort of, you know, turned up the heat in the second half against Wales, uh, you know, controlled the game first half. Wales have been really disappointing um, in in this whole tournament. An ageing team, disappointing with Bale as well, coming off at half-time. But I think Harry Kane... Obviously, captain, leader, doing a wonderful job. He's got bigger problems to pick from the other wide areas than he has in his number nine area. Michael, I wanted to ask you about some of the selection questions for England going forward. In this game, they started Kyle Walker ahead of Kieran Trippier. He was then subbed off for Trent Alexander-Arnold once the game appeared safe. Trippier would come on as a sub himself later in the game. But do you think this is now the shift from Southgate that Walker will be the starter going forward and Trippier loses his place in the England team? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I think that's a, that's a really tough scenario, especially for Gareth Southgate, to choose between three really top-class uh, right fullbacks. They've got an abundance of talent in that position. Um, I'm a huge fan of Trippier because I think he, he provides a, a danger from set pieces as well as, as getting forward himself. Um, but in saying that, uh, you know, Kyle Walker and, and Trent Alexander, Alexander-Arnold, um, you know, they, they probably possess similar traits. So um, it's a really difficult scenario. I think uh, it's kind of going to depend on a game-by-game scenario or maybe Gareth Southgate has a player in the back of his head that he's most confident with um, already. So um, I think whoever plays in that position is going to do the job for England. Um, it's just unfortunate for, for each of them that there's so much talent around them. Look, Kyle Walker's got his minutes in now, obviously come through that, that injury that he had. Um, what Kyle Walker gives England as well and Gareth Southgate is the option if he does start him at fullback to go to a back three at any time he wants to. Um, and I think with that in mind and, and him getting minutes in this game from his physicality standpoint and what he gives uh, the team, I think he'll get the nod. I really do. You know, in the knockout stages, I think that's why he's come back to play these minutes in the last game. Um, and as we've seen, Trippier is flexible. He can play on the left, he can play on the right. Um, and again, <laughs> you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold who gets minutes in this game, but... Um, someone that's so unfortunate to, to have the, the level of quality of opposition. Then you've got Ben White, who can't even get a minute either, who's top of the league in the Premier League. So it uh, just shows you the quality that they've got in that position. 
Well, another selection debate, no doubt, will be inspired by Rashford scoring this double because Bukayo Saka was an unused sub for this one. England didn't need him, to be fair. Scotty, does uh, Saka come straight back in or does Rashford now keep his place? This is this is the hardest question of them all. And then you've got Phil Foden as well, who the English public now, it was Grealish in the, the last competition at the Euros. They all wanted to play from the start. Phil Foden's the one now everyone's asking, particularly with, with teams that sit off them um, to, to go and open up defences. Um, so he's, he's got real selection headaches in terms of who he starts. Does Raheem Sterling get, get the nod? You know, that's a bigger question for me than Saka. I think Saka comes back in. It's a case of who who's going to get the nod on the other side with, with Sterling, uh, Foden or Rashford. And I actually think it probably will be Rashford. So I think it, he'll go Saka and Rashford for me. The feeling on the ground after the England-USA game in Qatar was that, um, you know, it was a feeling of, of bewilderment that, that that Foden wasn't getting any minutes. And I think he, he does the business for Manchester City every weekend in the, uh, in the Premier League. And he's such a dangerous player. Uh, I think there's some frustration around Sterling. He's maybe not in the best form of his career as well uh, at club level. So I think for me, it's it's got to be Rashford because he provides such a, a goal-scoring threat. And Saka is, is probably the form player in the England side as well. So um, for me, I'm definitely going with, uh, with Saka and Rashford and, and Harry Kane in the middle. Um, I've got no doubts that when the time comes, uh, when that opportunity presents itself, he'll be... He'll be uh, uh, scoring a goal for England and uh, and probably putting him through to the next round. Well, that next round is against Senegal. England have never lost to a team from CAF, the African Federation. Uh, Scott, have they looked like they'll threaten against the good sides or uh, are we looking a bit too far ahead? Do they have to be careful against a potential uh, speed hump like Senegal that could trip them up? They, de- they definitely do. You know, the, the African teams uh, throw things at you and... Um, they're so unpredictable, Tio. Uh, as we've seen, they started this tournament slowly. Not just Senegal, but Ghana. Uh, Morocco obviously got off to a, a decent start. Um, but the African nations are slowly now building into this tournament. And, and it seems to be, obviously, when the, the tournaments are, are outside of Europe, they, they seem to, to turn it on a little bit more. So, And I think Senegal, just with their pace, their power, their, their, their unpredictability, trickery-wise, trickery uh, I think SAR's a big threat for them. Um, he was he was magnificent for Senegal um, in the game itself um, overnight, and obviously his penalty took it wonderfully. So I think um, you know they're a big threat. Uh, England will dominate the ball as per usual, um, but they've got to be careful, obviously, on that counter-attacking moment. And it'll probably, albeit USA did ask questions at times, but this will be the biggest test for them from a defensive point of view. And and you know now question marks may be asked of Harry Maguire uh, he's been magnificent for them thus far um, but now I think with the threat the pace in behind that, that's going to be the the biggest questions asked of them up till now I'm definitely not um, you know uh, thrilled about England's form to this point I think I think Senegal are going to provide a, a massive um, a massive threat in terms of physicality I think that's going to really challenge the English team but in saying that, uh, they're all you know Premier League players, and they play against uh, super physical opponents on a weekly basis. So I don't know if that's going to be a problem for them. I, I just think going forward, um, I'm just not sure if they have the the um, they've definitely got the attacking flair. I'm, I'm just I'm not really uh, loving the chemistry in the squad at the moment. They haven't really impressed me thus far. Um, but in saying that, with that much attacking flair, um, it, it, it can all just come together. Uh, kind of in the blink of an eye, and, and before you know it, they can be in the World Cup final. So, um, 
I definitely think they're going to beat Senegal. Uh, what comes next, I'm not so sure. Now, just quickly on the defeated Team Wales, it was a sad end for Gareth Bale. He did score the penalty against America, but overall he did not have a great World Cup. And Scott, as you mentioned, he was subbed off at halftime in this one. But in the post-match, he said that he's not retiring. So he's just won the MLS. Wales obviously still idolise him, and Euro 2024 is only just around the corner. Scott, where to from here for Gareth Bale? I mean, does the Wales national team move on from him rather than vice versa? Or do you think that as long as Bale wants to wear that red shirt, Wales will keep picking him? Look, they'll keep picking him. Uh, from a marketing perspective, it makes absolute sense for, for the Wales national team to, to keep him around as well. And, and obviously the Welsh public absolutely love him as well. He's idolised. He's a legend of the game in, in Wales now for what he's done, not just for, for in club-wise, you know, winning um team, you know, European Champions Leagues, but, you know, what he's done for, for Welsh football qualifying you know, for you know their first World Cup since I think it's 1974, if you correct me, Theo. Um, and obviously getting to the Euros. Uh, I think is it's it 1958. Yeah. 58. Yeah. yeah 58. Sorry. Um, there's all these different numbers flying in my head at the moment. But um, look, uh, Robert Page is going to have a difficult decision to make sooner or later. What he does with him. Um, you know, keep him around the squad. From all accounts, he's absolutely wonderful around all the boys. Um, he's got a great connection with them. You see that if you if you look into their social media page and uh, how a big part he plays. He's, he's not big time or separate from the group. He, he's well and truly part of that. Um, but yeah, look, it's 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 sad because of what we see. You know, we see the decline of these these players. It happens to us all at some point. Um, but in terms of their strength and what they give you and the entertainment that they've brought you over the years, and then they they slowly you know, decline a little bit. Uh, you've got to find a way to, to still achieve what you want to achieve. And, and it's a lot more difficult in a Welsh team than it is in an Argentina team or a, or a Portuguese team for, for Bale, unfortunately. But um, look, it's he's had a wonderful career. Um, if he continues to play, then then, then it's I think it's great. And I, and I think it brings attention to the Welsh national team no matter what. Yeah, look, I think the thing with Gareth Bale is he's he's a perennial winner. I mean, he, he, he's won so many titles in his career. Um I actually saw a stat recently. The only time he he hasn't won a trophy over the last however many years that he's been playing has been the the uh, the time he spent at Tottenham, which I've really enjoyed having some uh, Tottenham fans as mates. Um, but but look, I, I think um, I think for a player of his stature, he it's kind of up to him to call time on on his international career, and I think he's earned that. And we've seen a similar thing, obviously, with. Portugal and Argentina, and in terms of Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi, and maybe they're at their own, you know, completely different level themselves. But, but I think for him is it's kind of whenever he wants to to call time. A player of that stature, as Scotty said, he he would probably bring so much to that change room in terms of of atmosphere and in terms of um, mentality that um, maybe for him he just wants to go out on a high and he can choose that time. But while he's still uh, hungry and he's still feeling competitive, uh, I see no reason why he can't keep playing for Wales. Let's quickly fly through the Group A games then. Senegal 2, Ecuador 1. We've spoken about how they'll face England in the next round. Ecuador scored an equaliser in this game, but just three minutes later, a winner for Kulabali and for Senegal. So they advance and Ecuador go out. Disappointing for them as well, Scott, given that they won the opening game against Qatar. They really outplayed the Netherlands in their one-all draw. And you can understand why there were tears at full time that it's all over. Yeah, it's it's heartbreak, isn't it? You know, because before this game, we're, we're 
we're, we're talking very, very positively about Ecuador and their chances um, getting through and um, how good they look, uh, particularly like you said there, Tio, in, in terms of their performance against the Netherlands and unlucky not to come away with you know maximum points in that game then to, to go into this game. And there's the danger, isn't it, um, of only needing a point within a game um, and then you end up with absolutely nothing. Uh, but you've got to say that on the night that, that Senegal were the better team and, and deserved you know, their, their, their three points. Um, but within a blink of an eye, it's crazy to think that you can start the tournament that well and, and still be, you know, going through the exit door at the end of, you know, the three games as well. So as always, it's not how you, you start something, it's how you, you finish it. Um, and it's been that case for Ecuador in, in, in this moment. Um, and yeah, a really sad way for, for Ecuador to go out. And then obviously, Enna Valencia, who's had... Uh, a very good World Cup, obviously scoring three goals again and uh, looking to try and break more records, but that won't happen now. And in the other group game, Netherlands to Qatar, nil. No risk for the Netherlands of slipping up in this one. Cody Gakpo scoring first, Frankie de Jong early in the second half to kill off the contest. Michael, Qatar go home without a point and a goal difference of minus six. It's the worst performance from a World Cup host in history and only Canada can end up with a worse record depending on their final group game. So in all likelihood, Qatar is going to be 32nd and last of all the teams that made it into this tournament. Was it worth all the effort and the trouble? It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I think, uh, I think. look, considering all the noise around the World Cup, there's probably some questions about whether it was worth it. But um, I think they've, they've definitely underperformed. You know, I think they, if you look at their performance in the last Asia Cup, people were probably expecting a lot more from them. Um, so it was obviously a big disappointment to see that they that they weren't able to, to put together any kind of, of performance that was up to scratch. But um, the country itself still hosted a World Cup and it's it's still going on. And I guess the jury's out on, on how this World Cup will turn out, you know, whether it will be remembered as, as a great one or, or not so. Um, but in terms of is, is it worth it? Absolutely. I think for a country to host a World Cup is a, a massive occasion. Um and uh, it's just a shame that they, they couldn't turn up and, uh, and provide a performance that, that probably they were hoping for. Well, you touched on there in terms of the, the World Cup and, and questioning or asking the question, you know, it's up to others to determine if it's going to be, if it's going to be a memorable one or not. Obviously, you, you went there as a fan this time compared to previous. Um, what was your thoughts on it? Because you were on the ground, so you'll know better than us in terms of the atmosphere and, and, and what it's been like uh, going to the games and what the fans are like. Is there many of the actual, is it all local fans or is there, there, is there a lot of internationalists actually going to these games? Yeah, look, I'm going to be honest. I think this is something that I've been thinking about a lot since I, I stepped foot in Qatar. And um, I, I was very underwhelmed. You know, I've been to pr- previous World Cups as a fan as well. And um, it did not have that World Cup feel for me. I'll tell you straight straight up. It, it uh, The fans, the foreign fans just weren't there in the numbers that I've experienced before. And, and I can tell you firsthand that the 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 atmosphere inside the stadiums has been pretty pretty uh, I don't know what the right word is, but pretty lackluster to be completely honest with you. Um, the Australia best, yeah, very dull, very dull. And I think that comes from the fact that there's a lot of neutrals in the stadium. There's a lot of just casual football fans that have come from. I'm not I'm not sure. I mean, there's been various reports of where they come from, but um, there's there look. If I compare these, the Spain-Germany game with the England-USA game, they were very similar. There was actually a ton of USA fans in the stadium uh, and a fair amount of English as well. 
Um, Spain versus Germany, absolutely not. It was very, very dull. Um, but if I compare that to the Australia-Tunisia game, that was by far and away the best experience of the World Cup, purely because of the fact that it was full of Tunisians. And uh, they brought an incredible atmosphere to the stadium. It was it was unbelievable. And that's kind of what you expect at a World Cup, to have um, to have fans supporting their nation, making a lot of noise, making a lot of noise inside and outside the stadium, having a great time. Uh, and unfortunately, I didn't see much of that at this World Cup. Well, that was Michael Zullo's account being on the ground in Qatar. We are going to shift focus after this short break onto the Socceroos looking ahead to their game against Denmark. You're listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This is the Gagan Pod. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. We've got two former Socceroos with us today, Michael Zullo and Scott McDonald. And now it is time to get on to the Australia match against Denmark. A draw is good enough for Australia to get through, assuming Tunisia do not upset France. So many permutations. Let's begin with the starting 11. Michael, you were there watching the historic 1-0 win against Tunisia. Do you have any immediate changes you would make? I'll throw some uh, potential questions at you. Who's starting at right back? Does Aiden Hrustic start ahead of Riley McGree? Or is there something else in the team you've seen that might be a burning question? First and foremost, uh, Harry Sutar's number one name on the team sheet for me. After watching him play, uh, it's the first time I've seen him live. And um, I was extremely impressed by by his performance, as, as were many other Australians who watched him that night. But he was... Um, he was um, a colossus at the back for me. So he's the, the first name on the team sheet. And I think at right back, it's it's a tough one, you know. I think um, I think obviously Nathaniel uh, Atkinson had a tough tough game against France, but he was playing against the best player in the world right now. And um, I think that was an enormous learning curve for him. I think he's going to benefit from that because I think he's a very, very talented young player. Uh, and then I think obviously Karacic had a bit of a tough one against Tunisia as well. So... Um, where Arnie goes with that, I'm not so sure. I'd probably lean towards Atkinson if he's if he's fit and healthy. Um, I just think he he provides a bit more going forward and a bit more uh, he's a bit more dynamic. So for me, that's where I'm going to go. But um, they're both uh, talented players. Um, and as for the midfield with McGree and Hustic, that's a really tough one. I think I think McGree was 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 uh, he, you know his his work ethic was was so high against Tunisia. Um, I think he probably deserves to to stay after getting the three points last time. But Hrustic is arguably the player that's playing at the highest level for Australia at the moment, and he's uh, extremely talented. So I think it comes down to a, a question of which way Arnie wants to go. Does he want to go with the work ethic or, or a bit more ball-playing sort of talent? I think if you're going to lean towards work ethic, then McGree will probably get the nod. If he goes the other way, then obviously Hrustic will get the nod. So... Um, not quite sure which way Arnie will land on, but um, whoever plays, I'm confident will do the job. It's the tried, tested, trusted. If I know Arnie well enough, I don't think he makes any changes. I think it's the same 11. Um, there has been questions asked in terms of 
Can they go to the well again? That's my biggest question. Uh, the, the the work rate and the output that was put into the game against Tunisia and uh, how well the players did it from a, a physical standpoint. I don't mean just from a you know running attribute wise, but you know how they put their bodies about as well uh, and took the blows and were, were physically in the faces of the Tunisians. They're going to have to do that again. Uh, and look, and I think Ryan McGree gets the nod like Michael touched on there because of his work ethic and his work rate and how he pressed from the front. He more or less led the press at times because the, the way that, um, you know, Denmark played very, very similar to Tunisia as well with a back three. So I, I think with with that in mind, um, Ryan McGree knows how to do that and he'll push on higher. Um, and then um, Goodwin will stay out wide and then you've got obviously Juki will push on as well and... Lecky will come in narrow and he'll take care of the, the, the three up top. And that's how they'll press. Look, And I think that, that Arnie will go with this to start the game and try and see if they can obviously get something successful out of that. However, if not, stay in the game for as long as possible and then make his changes from an impact perspective like the, the likes of Rustic, Kual, McLaren. I think they're probably the three that you look at. I think Goodwin's been arguably the, the standout player for the Socceroos as well in terms of a real surprise in terms of getting the nod in the first place. Um, but what he's given the Socceroos in the last two games has been wonderful. Obviously scored the goal, had the assist as well. And I think his overall play has been magnificent as well. Karacic probably gets the nod just because the team had a clean sheet. And if you've had a clean sheet, albeit you've had a tough day, but you've been part of that unit, I don't think as a coach you, you tend to change things. So I think I think that back four will be the same back four as it was previous game. Well, you touch on the fatigue there. Um, Graham Arnold dismissed the accumulated fatigue as a mental issue, and the quote was, don't talk about it, and it can be overcome. And Michael, this is where I wanted you to take us inside the change room, because you've played for Graham Arnold as a coach. Um, How different is what he says to the media versus what he says to the players? Would you expect that it is largely the same sort of message internally and externally, or is what he does to sort of get the media sidetracked on one issue completely different to what he might be saying behind closed doors? Graham Arnold's a... uh, He is a a master of... of, um not just creating the narr- narrative, but shifting the narrative to make sure that it's um, it ties into what he's you know wants to push inside the change room. And I think um, you know he's he's very big on um, on uh, using particular words and making particular statements that, that kind of fill the boys with confidence or make them feel a certain way. You know, I've heard that he wasn't calling France France; he was just calling them the blues in the lead up to the, to the France game and um, things like that are very common, you know, with, with Arnie, he, um, he, uh, he, he, he focuses a lot on the mental side of the game and uh, there are certain little tricks that he likes to employ um, to, to make sure that you are thinking the same way he's thinking and that you're full of confidence going into the game. And I think that's for me, probably the the biggest thing about Arnie's um, tenure is that um, as a player, I, I always felt confident going into a game um, with Arnie. I always knew my role and I always um, was ready for the battle. But um, obviously, this is a, a completely different level. This is an enormous game for Australia. Um, you know, whether whether he, he focuses on, on certain points, I'm not, I'm not so sure. But I just know that he's going to have those boys 100% believing that um, they can do the job. Um, 100% uh, motivated, and and I think they'll come out of the gates absolutely firing. 
One thing I did want to ask, though, is because you played for Graham Arnold when his team was undefeated on long streaks without losing, and emotionally and mentally you were up every single week. It, it seems as though Arnie's mentality first, the rest second style, shouldn't that be emotionally and mentally draining? How is it that he always finds a way to tap in to sort of the uh, the mindset of the players in order to avoid the drop-off and the letdown, especially when it's a situation like a World Cup where it is far closer to a sprint than a marathon? Look, I think I think what you mentioned, I think uh, in, in terms of having a bit of a burnout and stuff like that, that might be a factor at team level. But I think at international level, we're, we're talking about three games here. We're talking about a World Cup. I think if players have got mental fatigue, there's something wrong. I think, you know, this is a... This is an enormous occasion, not just in the countries, um, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, in terms of the country, but in terms of, of each individual player. This could be a, a turning point in their career. So I think there's absolutely no concerns for me that the players are going to have mental fatigue or burnout about um, keeping this mentality up. I think for, for Arnie, he's, he's so big on mentality that you, you need to buy into that if you're going to play for him. And I think the players that he's chosen, um, without knowing firsthand, obviously, but... Um, from my understanding of, of how Arnie chooses his teams, he chooses players that he knows are going to be up for it. He knows they're going to come out and, and, and kick and scratch and, and run all day. Uh, and the only thing I'm certain of is that Arnie will be 10 times more nervous than the players going into that game. That's the only thing I know for absolute certainty. So, um, look, I, I think I've got, no, I've got no concerns that the boys will be up for it. I know it'll be a massive game in their careers. And we, at, at least the least that we can expect is um his total commitment from them. You you mentioned there hearing about how he referred to France as the Blues. What was his go to to refer to some of your A League rivals? Did he have uh, code names, or would he refuse to say the name of a Melbourne Victory or a Western Sydney Wanderers when you were playing for for Sydney FC? Yeah, yeah. You just you just touched on the, the one that stands out for me, and that was uh, he would he would remove Victory from from Melbourne Victory, and he would even go as far as. Uh, Removing the word victory from their badge when it would come up in uh, in the um, pre-game analysis, you know. So uh, there was no talk about victory. It was just Melbourne and and we were going to win. You know, he's, he he spoke uh, at length about how victory, um, calling them the Melbourne victory, was a masterstroke in marketing. Um, so I don't think he was too happy about it. But look, they're the kinds of things that he does, you know. And I think you can't really argue with them at this point. He's been such a successful manager. Um, during his career and um, I think look whatever works for us at this point if it gets us through to the next round who cares now uh, Scott one thing that Arnie went out of his way to mention was making sure that the team didn't get carried away with the win against Tunisia and he even went back to the win against Argentina in the Olympics he blamed over celebration and he also said that social media was responsible for distracting his players now is that an effective deflection in order to get maybe social media talking about themselves rather than about the team? Or do you think he actually has a, a legitimate point and a legitimate gripe there with perhaps uh, Australia, the fans, getting too carried away with that win against Argentina? And it's a lesson It's a lesson broadly for the national team to learn from. I think it's more a reflection rather than a deflection um, in terms of his experience with that. Albeit it was a younger squad that went to the Olympics than, than what he has at his disposal now with the experience that he has within that squad itself. Um, and I think it was more a message to the players that than the outside world about social media um, and getting carried away. And I think a couple of boys mentioned that in terms of the team talk of the huddle 
thereafter the, the last game and, and that was probably the message as well. We don't get carried away. We've still got a job to do, amongst other things. Um, you've, you've gone on about there with, with, with Michael about um, Graham Arnold and what he says to, to certain people and what he says to others. Um, and I, I think I touched on it in the, the pod the other day in terms of what he's actually saying to the players. Um, and, and it's all about siege mentality, about the group itself and nothing from the outside. Um, and some of the, the the negativity that's gone around the group before now. And look what you've achieved, but we've achieved nothing yet. Let's go and shove it down everyone's throats even more. And I think that's a message and the motivation um, uh, for the next game, particularly for the players. And, and Michael's right, the, the players will be up for this one. There's, there's no way they're not going to be. Um, it's just whether or not we've got enough in the well um, and enough quality on the day and, and how we keep the ball. Because... That was the one thing probably I was disappointed with the most. Uh, we played against a, no disrespect, a lower level of opposition that were playing basketball with us. The Danes won't do that. If you give them the ball back, they'll keep the ball, right? And they'll, and they'll keep it for long spells. So we've got to make sure that we maintain possession a lot better in certain moments within the game. We did it well early on, but we're going to have to do it for a lot more of the majority of the the game itself. Michael, you haven't been afraid to weigh in on Twitter in recent times. So on Arnie's point about social media, do you understand where he's coming from about players maybe getting lost in their own hype or lost in the praise? Or is it really up to the individual rather than the coach to set the tone on these things? No, absolutely. I understand where he's coming from. I think um, for me, for most of my career, I kind of stayed off um, social media. And now that I'm coming towards the end of it or, you know, I'm an older player, I... I um, I feel like I can get more involved in it if I so choose. But social media is a is a double edged sword, you know. It's it's really something you need to, to be careful with because obviously you can get carried away with the with the compliments and with the with the positive stuff. But uh, by the same uh, token, you can get massively deflated by 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 negative criticism uh, and stuff like that. And I think for me, even as a player, it was extremely frustrating to watch some of my teammates throughout my career. Um, Obviously, this is a recent phenomenon, but focus more on social media and 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 image than than on than on football. And I think uh, for a, for a coach these days, I think it's a huge huge element um, to make sure that players are are staying grounded, not getting too carried away when it's obviously positive, but on the flip side, when it's negative, how to stay confident, you know. So I think is 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 Graham Arnold um, is he. Is he making a valid point? I think absolutely. I think social media can be a, a tricky beast for, for athletes and it should be treated with a bit of caution. Let's uh, shift it back onto the pitch, though. The two teams that needed a draw to go through today, Ecuador and Iran, both lost. The two teams that needed to win were able to beat them in the form of the United States and Senegal. So uh, I'll start with you, Michael. What is our approach? Can we be on the front foot? What minutes do we start letting playing for a draw creep into our heads? Look, I think as a player, everyone's saying that you can't go into that match going for a draw, and that's absolutely correct. But as a player, you know in the back of your mind that you only need a draw. So I think for me, you have to come out of the gates firing. You have to come out um, first and foremost. It has to be maximum energy um, from Australia to set the tone early. Because if we let Denmark play, as Scotty touched on, we're talking about super talented European players here. They're not going to just turn the ball back over like Tunisia did. It's not going to be a back-and-forth type of match, in my opinion. I think this is going to be something that um, we need to be able to, to hold the ball and control possession at times. And I think, um, first and foremost, as has kind of been our style recently, is we obviously need to be strong in a, in a strong defensive block. Um, 
because they do possess quite a bit of talent. Um, but look, I, I think I, I think we have to go out and 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 work extremely hard. That's going to be the number one um, uh, sort of factor for us. I think that's that's what we need to do. Um, and uh, look, if we can nab a goal, that would be excellent. But um, I think probably around the 80th minute is is that's if that if that obviously there's so much uh, injury time in this World Cup, you can't really let settling for a draw creep in un, until it's really at the absolute death of the game. We have to keep firing uh, for, for for the entirety of the match, do what we can, and, and try and win. That's the absolute goal. It has to be. Otherwise, we're inviting a lot of pressure. And I think we're uh, playing with fire. No player ever goes into a game looking to draw a game. Not, not in a million years. You, you go out there to, to play the game and try and win the game. Um, as the game edges on, there is that thought, like Michael said, um, but only probably in the last 10 minutes of the game. Before those last 10 minutes, you're not on countdown. You're not looking at the clock. You, 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 you're slowly looking at it, but you know you've still got a job to do. Um, Australia need a big performance from Mitch Duke again. I think he was a catalyst as well for a lot of good things that came, it will be a lot more difficult against the likes of Christensen, um, you know, at the back, um, you know, the physicality that they hold. Um, it's not going to be as easy to bully them, um, but he needs a big performance, uh, you know, for, for, for the Socceroos to, to get up the pitch um, and create opportunities. Uh, if, if he can't get a hold of that ball and get us up the pitch, then we're going to struggle. We're going we're gonna to find it hard. Um, what is in Australia's favour is, though, the Danes play similar to, to what Tunisia did, you know, with that back three. Um, I think when they went to a standard 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, however you want to look at it, Tunisia, it gave us a few more problems late in the game. Do Denmark look at that and change their system from the four, from the 3-4-3 that they play? I don't know. Um, only they can answer that. However, they've got options up top as well. Um, you know, a lot of threat. We all know the threat of, of Ericsson being quite... But they've all been quiet to this point. They've, they've not really... You know, created a lot of opportunities from a goal threat perspective, um, but there's still a massive threat. Damsgaard, for me, was excellent in the Euro 2020s now at Brentford. Had a quiet tournament thus far, but is an excellent player. Does Paulson get minutes this time? He's not had any minutes so far. Um, but one guy that probably does start for them is the guy that come on at half-time in, in their last game against France, and that's Braithwaite. Um, I think he'll start the game. Uh, for them and, and, and be a, probably the biggest threat as well and making those runs in behind. So we have to be alert to that. And, you know, like Michael touched on, our, our block of four has to be very, very good on the day again and not just the block of four, but everything in front of that as well. Um, but we have to find quality at the final third of the pitch as well and try and get Goodwin on that ball as much as we can to, to get those deliveries in. And I still think set pieces uh, are a big plus point for us as well. Well, Michael, I wanted to ask you about another Arnie quote from pregame. Uh, he said, we're going to focus on ourselves. If we spend too much time focusing on Denmark, then you know we're doing the wrong thing. Michael, surely that's just a bit of bluff for the Danes there. Surely uh, within the Socceroos camp, they know who they're marking. They know what the strengths of the opposition are, and they'll have a preset plan. Is it really true that the Socceroos are just focusing on themselves? For every game, you obviously have to analyse the strengths of the opposition, but is Arnie focusing purely on our performance? I think so. Why not? This is in Australia's hands here. It's it's not really about... We're not playing against France this time. We're playing against a very talented Danish side, don't get me wrong. But I don't think they have the individual threats that, that, that France do. So for me, this is this is a time for Australia to say, you know, this is our time, this is our performance. It's up to us to go out and get this result. As we touched on, I, I think he, he keeps any... Um, 
anxieties or any fears that he might have, he keeps them to himself. So I think for Australia, we need to go out and do our job and I see no reason why, why we can't come come out with the result that we need. Both of you are fairly confident on our starting 11, but what subs are we turning to firstly if we're chasing the game and what subs are we turning to if we're containing or shutting down the game, as you mentioned, sort of post-80th or post-85th minute, who knows how much stoppage time there'll be at the end of these World Cup games. Scott, do you have any names in mind that you want to see as first call off the bench? Because in the France game and in the Tunisia game, it was very different subs that Graham Arnold did turn to in order to... uh, in, in the instance of the France game, it didn't change the game much. And in the, in the case of the Tunisia game, it helped us get to the finish line. Yeah, look, I, I don't think we'll see much change in terms of the, the personnel that have come on from these these first two games. Uh, it's just the timing of them, like you said. Look, if, if we're chasing the game, I, I, you know, there's no doubt that we'll probably see Mabil, we'll see Qual come in for that pace injection. McLaren is a possibility now. I think he'll get the nod before Cummings does in that situation or scenario. If we're... Holding on, I think the likes of Abacus comes on just purely for his energy and his engine um, and just to, to be that, that horrible type of player. Not to say he's horrible, but he does those dirty things really, really well. Uh, could come on and then the likes of McLaren will replace Duke at some point just from a fatigue perspective. I think that's probably the changes we'll see um, if, if Arnie's going to make any changes or from a defensive point of view, he'll bring on a Dejanak. Um, to, to shore it up if we need to. Um, but in terms of the attacking intent, I think it will be the likes of Qual, Mobile and McLaren that we will see um, introduced at some point. Yeah, similar to Scotty. I think Arnie's made it clear that he's uh, there's obviously a group of players that he trusts and believes in, and that's that's normal within a squad. And for a game of this importance, I don't think we're going to be seeing anything out of the box here. I think it's going to be uh, the players that he knows and trusts um, I was surprised to see Backers come off to be on off the bench. To be honest, in the last game, it was a massive moment for him to come into the game. But I think if we're chasing it, you know, it'd still be the usual suspects. It'll be uh, uh, Mobile, Jamie McLaren, and I think if we're we're trying to to keep a result, as Scotty said, Dejanek. But look, uh, uh, look, someone that might be a little bit um, left of left of field. But for me, if if you need someone to do a you know have bring in a lot of work ethic and a lot of work rate. Look no further than uh, than Cammy Devlin. He's he's a little he's a little uh, energizer, bunny that guy. And I think he's the type of guy that can absolutely nullify an opposition just from his work rate. And he, he's willing to come out and and kick people and do the dirty work. So. Um, they're the kind of players I think we can we can probably expect to see in those two scenarios. France versus Tunisia. Do France make sure that it does come down to Australia versus Denmark by beating them, or do Tunisia shake this group up with one last twist? Absolutely no way. The French have got too much uh, in their locker for this one. Um, and even if they do make changes, they've just got a quality side all round. Uh, look, they'll make it. They'll make it three from three, no doubt. Yeah, I think for me, look, it's a, it's a, probably a very um, historically sensitive game to be honest Tunisia versus France there's a lot of cultural undertones there um, so the, 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 seeing the Tunisian support in Qatar it's going to be a massive game for them but I just don't think they're going to have the quality to get over the line I think France will take it out uh, and it'll come down to Australia versus Denmark to see who goes through as the remaining team in the group and in the other group, we've got Saudi Arabia taking on Mexico. Both teams at risk of knocking each other out if they match ends in a draw, but the rewards will be there if one of them can win. Scotty, Mexico or the Saudis? Look, I wouldn't put it past Saudi Arabia. In terms of that atmosphere 
like Michael touched on with the Tunisians, the Saudi Arabians have been there in force as well, obviously only a stone throw away from Qatar. So they're going to come out in full force and, and, and could they be the 12th man for them? Mexico have been really, really poor and disappointing to this point. Uh, been a surprise for a lot um, just because they've got a lot of talent in there. Uh, uh, do you know what? I'm going to go with the Saudis in this one. I think they can cause the upset and actually get to the last 16, which would be a massive, massive result. There you go. Yeah, look, I'm going to I'm going to uh, double up on that with Scotty. To be honest, I think um, Saudi were Saudi Arabia probably the team that um, was spoken about of having massive support on the ground in Qatar. They they uh, you know, apparently they had up to a hundred thousand fans in Qatar for the World Cup. So um, I think this is a bigger occasion for them than it is for Mexico. I know that's a big statement, but I think uh, in terms of the region where the World Cup is, I think the incentives for the Saudi team. Um, they were unlucky not to get something out of the last game, I think. Um, I think they're going to come away with, with, with the result. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it went either way. I was going to say, I tell you what, if they got a Rolex for beating Argentina, what do they get for uh, reaching the, the last 16 of the World Cup? My goodness, um, that could be interesting what the King gives them for the, for the next phase. R- Rolex is on four wheels, I reckon. <laughs> okay, and lucky last one. Argentina against Poland. And Scott, I saved a stat just for you. Argentina have faced the lowest XG of all 32 teams in the tournament through the first two games. Will that affect your tiff in any way? Do you know what the best part about our game is? I'll tell you. The unexpectedcy of it. Not the expectedcy of it. So there you go. So you can stick your XG where it fits, right? Um, And, and, you know, and Argentina, right, have the lowest XG, but the little magician turns up when you least expect it and goes, thank you very much. That wasn't expected. Right, and that's why we love the game that much. So, anyway, on to the result. Right, so the result for me. Uh, look, I can't see past Argentina. I think the shackles are off a little bit more now. I think they'll express themselves. Um, look, and they'll dominate the game. They've just got to keep the back door locked, like they didn't do against Saudi, even though they were comfortable for a lot of the majority of that game. They dominated against Mexico as well. I fully expect that again. Um, they've just got to find a better way of breaking the door down. Um, but I think the little magician will do it again. Yeah, look, I think I think the, the safe money is on Argentina, but uh, I don't think it's that safe. You know, I think a lot of people will be backing them, but basically because they're a massive superpower in football. Um, but I haven't been impressed with Argentina thus far in this in this tournament. Uh, as you touched on, they they're not they're not creating overly uh, overly uh, many chances. Uh, I think they've they've been disjointed as a team. But as Scotty touched on, they've got one of the greatest players of all time. Um, so. Uh, any kind of form, any kind of analysis goes out the window when he gets the ball because he can just do the unexpected and change the game in one moment. So for me, I think Argentina will just have that, that little bit of fight and, and they, they definitely have the quality to get over the line. So for me, Argentina will come away with it, but I don't think it'll be easy by any means. A big thanks to Michael Zullo and Scott McDonald. What a fantastic chat we've had today. If the World Cup is not enough of a football fix for you, don't forget the WSL continues live and exclusive on Optus Sport. The Gegen Pod is daily during the World Cup, so remember to subscribe and rate us five stars while you're there. We'll be back tomorrow to break down the Socceroos game in detail. I've been your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Thanks for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was the Gegenpot.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.